So this evening's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God to the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Good evening, everybody. My name is Phil. I'm the assistant minister here, and it's uh, lovely to be able to share God's word with you this evening. Great. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get on with Ephesians 6. Our Father God, we know that we cannot stand unless you enable us. We cannot live unless you send your spirit. We cannot pass your judgment without your son's forgiveness. Father, we need you for everything. Help us to see that, to feel it, to believe it tonight. And we pray that you would work in us a deep conviction of our need to pray, that you would help us to be people who live differently tomorrow because of what you have said to us today. Father, please, would we not be foolish, not be naive, but would we be people who are known in heaven as those who pray like we believe in God and like we understand the times we're in. Amen. To turn to follow Jesus is to change sides in a war. Not a physical war, Jesus told us to love our human enemies, to forgive and pray for those who even persecute us. And as he hangs on the cross, he prays for God's forgiveness of the very people who are killing him. We're to love our human enemies. But when you turn to follow Jesus, you join his side in the great cosmic conflict between God and the devil. Everybody who puts their trust in Jesus is enlisted into his side into that war. Now, the fact that it's a spiritual war, not a physical war, doesn't make it any less serious. Yeah, you know, you're, you're not going to get bodily wounds in this war. No, it's a whole lot more serious than that. Your eternal destiny, where you will spend all eternity, hell or heaven, well, that's determined by whether you stand or not in this war. 
It's very, very serious indeed. Now, we learned uh, last week in chapter 6, verses 10 to 17, that we have a terrifying enemy in this war, the devil. He is far, far more powerful than any of us here, far more powerful. And the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, as we said, you're marked with the cross, and God looks at the cross that you're marked with, and he sees your forgiveness and loves you as his child. The devil looks at that cross and sees a target. And for the rest of your earthly days, he is implacably opposed to you. And he will not rest. He will not cut you any slack until he has dragged you to eternal condemnation. He knows no mercy. But we also learn that God is mightier than the devil. Devil is a creature. God is God. That's not a fair fight. And I'm glad about that. The devil's on a leash. And God strengthens us when we cry out to him. And he provides us with the gospel armor that we need to to enable us to stand our ground in the fight so that we'll be able to keep going, keep trusting, stay faithful right until the last day. But what is the hallmark of the Christian who gets that? What what marks out the life of somebody who, who heard all that we heard from Ephesians 6 last week and said, yes, I believe that? How can you see them? Well, very simply, the Christian who understands how deadly serious our adversary is and how awesomely powerful our God is, is the one who prays. It's the one who prays. And that's what Paul turns to address now, prayer. Now, prayer is a, it's not another part of the gospel armor, uh, an extra bit of armor. Prayer is, if you like, how you put on the armor. It is, uh, as John Wesley put it in his great hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise, to put your armor on, attend with constant prayer. You see, prayer is that dependent attitude that looks to God for protection and power. That's what prayer is. It's that, that dependent attitude that looks to God for his protection and power. And so prayer is how you put on the gospel armor. If you're, if you're wondering last week, well, okay, this gospel armor sounds great. How do I put it on? You pray to God. You look to God. You trust in God. Now, uh, we've just got two points tonight. They're, they're different from the ones on the sheet, just to keep you guessing. So if you've got a pen, you might want to um, make some small amendments. So point one will be pray for God's protection, and point two, pray for gospel proclamation. Not what you call a radical change, um, but uh, that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Before we get there, it may be that for some here, uh, talk of kind of devils and spiritual war just has you zoning out. You count yourself a scientific, rational person, and you just, you don't want to waste half an hour of your Sunday evening listening to this sort of drivel. Well, if you, if you are a scientific, rational person, that's great. You're very welcome here, and you're in good company. There are a whole lot of professional scientists here every week. To be a professional scientist doesn't require you to disbelieve what most people in most of the world have believed for most of history, which is that there is a spiritual realm. And I would just say two very brief things if, you're, if, if you are skeptical about these things. Firstly, as you look around the world, is it that hard to believe? Does it seem that far-fetched that there is a powerful force of evil? As you look at the news, does it not seem like a pretty good match with the world we see? That there is a powerful force of evil at work in this world. The second thing to say, um, very briefly, is, look, the, as, a, as another speaker put it, um, that's the shallow end of the swimming pool, demons and spiritual war and that sort of thing. You don't dive in at the shallow end. The deep end 
is did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? That's the, that's the place to get in first when you're working out Christianity. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, well, who cares what the Bible says about uh, spiritual stuff? I mean, who cares? It's just make-believe. But if he did rise from the dead, well, then everything else that he tells us, it kind of goes with that too. You, you kind of have to take seriously everything at that point. So work out whether Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, we're going to look through this passage, though, together. So firstly, pray for God's protection. Secondly, pray for gospel proclamation. Verse 18, pray for God's protection. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. As those who are seeking to stay true to Jesus in the face of temptation and opposition, Paul says, put on the gospel armor, God's protection, by praying to him. And verse 18 tells us how to pray, who to pray for and when to pray. Very helpful. How to pray, who to pray for and when to pray. The first thing we see is how to pray for protection. As he says, pray in the Spirit, which often confuses people. Is this some sort of weird kind of prayer? Is this like prayer in tongues? Well, it can't be that because Paul says that this is for everybody, whereas in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, and 30, he says prayer in tongues in a sort of heavenly language is only for some people. Okay, so what is it? Well, the context helps us. I think we mentioned this last week. Prayer in the Spirit here relates back to, well, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in verse 17. So prayer in the Spirit is prayer guided by the sword of the Spirit. In other words, prayer guided and informed and grounded in the word of God. It's praying the promises of God. God, I, I, I'm just so full of doubt. I, I, I just can't believe that I am a Christian. I cannot believe that you accept me. I'm so full of sin. If you could see what my heart was like, and I just feel so full of doubts. But Lord, you promised that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So help me to believe that I'm saved. That's to pray in the Spirit, because that's to pray in the light of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which promises that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how you put on the the breastplate of salvation. Prayer in the Spirit is praying the promises of God through the Word of God. I think it does also mean it's, it's prayer that's not just a human activity, prayer that's not just dull and ritualistic and en- endless sort of empty babbling of meaningless phrases and platitudes. It's a spirit-fueled tapping into God's almighty power. It is prayer that is urgent. It is prayer that is heartfelt. It is prayer that is genuine and serious. It's prayer in the spirit that we're to pray. Well, secondly, that's uh, how to pray in the spirit. Secondly, who to pray for. Now, most of us are quite good at remembering to pray for ourselves. I assume you are, because I am. I'm very good at remembering that. It's the one bit of my, of my daily prayer list that I never seem to forget is prayer for me. Incredible. Uh, it's because I've got a good memory, or maybe I'm self-obsessed. But, but how much of our prayer for ourselves is about our spiritual protection? Our protection from temptation, protection from doubt and discouragement, temptation from the, to, just to give it up because of opposition or mockery from friends, protection from the lies that we find ourselves believing about God and his character. 
Now, I'm not sure I want to stand up here and say, spend more time praying for you. Uh, I don't want to say that. But I do want to say, when you pray for you, spend more time praying for your spiritual protection, your spiritual health. But also pray for others. Uh, We stand together in the fight and we pray for one another as we do that. The second half of verse 18 reads, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for the people closest to you in a Christian sense, perhaps prayer triplet. Pray for your small group. Pray for your church family and church leaders. Pray for Christians around the world who who face particular pressure, uh, those in uh, Muslim-majority communities facing brutal persecution, or those in communist countries, or those who face intense temptation in Western cities like London. If you love people, pray for their protection. If you love people, pray for their protection. Be active in God's war by praying for people. That's how you protect them. How to pray, who to pray for, and lastly, when to pray. And look at verse 18 again, and look at all, the, all of the alls. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Four times Paul uses the word all in one small verse. And the first three times is to stress how all-encompassing this life of prayer is supposed to be. All occasions, all kinds of prayers, always keep on praying. Show of hands, how many people here have made a 999 phone call? Not a prank one, a real one. Um, Okay, a few of us, a few of us. Prayer is not like a 99 call, 999 call. Um, It's not a, you know, a, a rare event when things go really out of control that some of us have to do. Now, prayer is a lifestyle. Everything we truly need is in the hands of God, our generous Father. Everything you truly need is in his hands. And prayer is the the daily lifestyle of talking to God, living in dialogue with him, asking for all we need, all he's promised. Uh, The Lord's Prayer helps us to see what's meant by all kinds of prayers and requests. A prayer for God to be glorified first. Prayer for his kingdom to spread. Prayer for our daily needs, food, clothes, work, rent, Pray for forgiveness for sins and prayer for protection from evil. Now, be alert and always keep on praying, as he says in verse 18, means literally be sleepless in your devotion to prayer. Be sleepless in your devotion to prayer. I'm not sure what things matter to you enough that you voluntarily miss sleep for. In London, we involuntarily lose sleep all the time for all sorts of reasons, but what about voluntarily? What things do you care about enough that you're willing to go without sleep for them? For Paul, prayer for people like you and me is in that category. Prayer. You get an idea why um, from this wonderful quotation from uh, the Puritan writer Thomas Brooks in his uh, marvelously titled book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. I think we've got it on the slide. Uh, And he writes this. Prayer is a shelter to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to the devil. There is nothing that renders his plots fruitless like prayer. Therefore, saith Christ, 
Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Pray regularly. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is needful. Okay, which raises the question, why don't I pray more? I mean, why do we so often feel like prayer is a duty I've got to perform, something I've got to tick off the list of stuff God requires me to do, rather than a lifeline reaching out for the help and resources I so desperately need? Now, I think there are, there are a few reasons. Um, I think a large part of it is we just don't believe what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. If we did, we would pray. And many of us, if we're honest, we are just, we're distracted and worldly. And our, our eyes are just consumed with the stuff around us, the stuff we can touch, the, the stuff we can spend, the, 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 the things in our lives, the people around us. Things that are eternal and spiritual just aren't in view. And so we're consumed with the here and now and blind to the war that's going on. Others of us have got a blasé attitude for a, a weirdly Christian reason. We know Jesus has won the war. We're, we're used to that. We're, we know Jesus is victorious, so, you know, it's no big deal, really, surely. Well, as you're probably aware, it's the 75th anniversary of D-Day this week, and as has often been observed, victory was assured the moment the beachhead had been secured in 1944. But, there was still a year's brutal fighting before victory actually took place. Jesus has won the ultimate victory on the cross and in his resurrection. There is no doubt how history will end. It ends with Jesus on the throne. That is not in question. But there is an awful lot of brutal fighting still to take place. The devil has not dropped his weapons just because he knows he's beaten. Even today... Many of us here have fallen for his temptations. Even today, there are empty seats here because people who used to come have given in to his doubts and discouragements. Even today, some of us are on the path towards backsliding who six months ago were going really, really well. The devil is defeated, but he is fighting, and he is still deadly to our souls. The last reason, I think, is that we tend to overreact against a lot of the twaddle. The, the last reason that we, we don't take seriously the call to pray in the spiritual war is because there's so much nonsense spoken. Uh, those who talk lots about spiritual warfare often seem to be unbiblical, superstitious, and just a little plain nuts. It's just the way it is. I, I had a friend, I remember him telling me, he, went, he, came to, uh, he arrived at his church and uh, to find that um, all the, the church committee were gathered around with their hands on the vacuum cleaner because it had broken down and they were genuinely praying, please cast out the foul demons that have clogged up this appliance. And I mean, genuinely, he was like, what are you doing? But that was what you did. I mean, you just think that's just silly. And we feel a little bit superior that we don't fall for such superstitious nonsense. But the problem is, we may not see demons everywhere like those people. Our problem, though, is we see them nowhere. And just as it is just unbiblical to see the devil everywhere and everything that goes wrong, it's equally unbiblical and dangerous to see nowhere. No evidence of the devil's activity. To act as if he doesn't exist or he's just a, a made-up idea. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. 
I'd love to uh, commend a very old book to you. Uh, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, also wrote another allegory about the Christian life called Holy War. Um, it's, uh, in it, you've got a city called the City of Mansoul. And the City of Mansoul is uh, owned by Diabolus. No prizes for guessing who he represents. And, uh, but uh, El Shaddai, God, comes and liberates the city. But that's not the end of the story. And a great battle takes, uh, carries on through the chapters as Mansoul foolishly falls for the devil's wiles and temptations and gets, re, uh, and gets ravaged again and uh, gets in all sorts of trouble and, and is ruined as a city because it doesn't take seriously the threat of, of the Diabolus' counterattacks. It's a brilliant book. It's very cleverly written. And reading it again this week, it reminded me just how wicked and devious and implacable our enemy is. And it reminded me just how foolish and vulnerable we humans can be. It also reminded me how merciful and mighty Almighty God is. I would uh, I'd heartily commend it to you. I've got a, a copy here, which is a modern English translation, which is um, easy to read. You can um, take a picture of it and order it. You might want to order it on Kindle, uh, because you'll probably freak out other commuters if they see you reading a book called Holy War. <laughs> <laughs> on the tube <laughs> uh, so perhaps go for the Kindle edition um, but it's, a, it's very interesting at one point in the book as Diabolus is trying to prevent the backsliding man soul from being liberated again by God he talks of his own spiritual armor a hard heart is his breastplate of iron that prevents God's love from penetrating. And he talks of all sorts of things. And he says this, and the last part of mine excellent armor is a dumb, prayerless spirit, a spirit that scorns to cry for mercy. So, O oh my man soul, be sure you make use of this. What? Cry to God for help. Never, never do that if you would be mine. The devil is very real. And the spiritual war that we're involved in and engaged in is brutal. And so you and I desperately need to pray. We desperately need to pray each day for our protection and for the protection of the people we love. Because the truth is that we face a fight we cannot win on our own, but which God cannot lose. So pray, not as a last resort when you can't handle things, but as your first resource in the spiritual war. Pray. Pray for God's protection. Secondly, I pray for gospel proclamation. Verse 19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, it's easy to think that these verses, which, are, which turn to the, the theme of evangelism and prayer for Paul as he, um, as he shares the gospel, as he tells other people about Jesus, it's easy to think, okay, he's shifted gear, it's now a, a new section, a new theme. But I don't think it is. Do you remember what we saw in, um, in verse 15? Right in the heart of the spiritual armor, he says in verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace evangelism that is calling others to find the life and forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers for free is central to putting on the gospel armor it says you're you're not properly protected spiritually if you're not telling other people about Jesus it's an extraordinary thing in the gospel armor 
And so this is not a new subject. This is part of spiritual war as Paul asks for prayer as he proclaims the gospel, probably in Rome. Now, why is evangelism part of spiritual war? It seems an odd thing to to include, but uh, it is because Jesus has won the ultimate victory. We saw that in Colossians 2.15 last week. On the cross, Jesus has triumphed over the powers of darkness because he has absorbed the curse of sin and death, and now he can liberate people like you and me and rescue us. And now the risen Jesus Christ conquers territories, not through battles fought by human armies. That's not how Jesus conquers territory in this world. He conquers territory as individual souls are won. That's the battlefield that Jesus engages in. Individual souls hearing the message of Jesus Christ and putting their trust in him. That's how his victory spreads. That's how he rescues souls from Satan. That's how he wins his war. And so prayer for evangelism is central to spiritual warfare. It is, though, key to see what kind of prayer Paul calls for. It is not prayer to make the gospel powerful. It's prayer to make the gospel minister brave. You see, some people give the impression that without our prayers, the gospel just lacks power. I remember going to a conference a number of years ago when I was at a different church, and the conference was all about evangelism, but the speaker who who gave the main address He stood up and told all these incredible stories about how uh, people had had invitation events at their church and these citywide events proclaiming the gospel and nothing had happened until he and his team had uh, discerned what the territorial demons were that gripped the city and what generational curses had been inflicted upon this city and had been able to to pray strategically to clear the ground and then as soon as that had happened the gospel went with power and lots of people were saved now there is an awful lot in the spiritual realm that we don't understand and we need to be humble about that but what we were taught there was dangerous nonsense You see, the upshot was you felt it's just pointless sharing the gospel with somebody until there's been this kind of strategic prayer to clear away the demonic blocks. You just felt the gospel's not powerful enough without, without something happening. But it's interesting, Paul asks for prayer here, and he's in Rome most likely. And he's in a city that is full of pagan temples with centuries of demonic sacrifices and practices. So what does he ask for prayer for? Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Nothing to do with strategic engagement of demonic forces. It's No, just pray that I proclaim the gospel clearly because the gospel is the power for salvation. The gospel, not my strategic prayers, is what brings the dead to life. The risen, victorious Jesus Christ comes to us now, not in his body, but in his words. That's how you and I meet Jesus, the real Jesus. We meet him, not in his body, as if he's walking the earth anymore, but we meet him in his words through the gospel. And the gospel message is Jesus in verbal form, and Jesus is almighty. He doesn't need our prayers to make him powerful. 
As we saw in Ephesians 1 and 2, it was the gospel that brought the Ephesian Christians from being dead in their sins to being alive. The gospel is the power of the risen, victorious Jesus active in the world. Now, this word that's repeated fearlessly in 19 and 20, it can either mean courageous or clear, and it probably here means both. The, the focus is not strategic prayer for spirits to be cleared out of the way, but prayer that the gospel minister will be clear in his proclamation. Paul knows that the gospel is the most powerful weapon in this war. He knows that the gospel is the most powerful weapon because the gospel is the declaration that Jesus has won. And the gospel is an encounter with that victorious Jesus Christ. And so Paul knows that what he, all he needs to do is make sure that he makes this gospel clearly known so that people encounter the real gospel. He just wants to, to get out of the way and ensure that the, the genuine gospel gets to people clearly and fully. And so we should pray for each other as we go out into our places of work and our places of study, as we go to our families and our friends. Pray that we would have the courage to speak about Jesus. And pray that we would have the clarity so that we can explain the gospel in a way which, which makes sense for the people we know and love and are trying to reach. And pray that they will receive it and believe it. And we can pray these prayers with confidence because these are prayers we pray in the Spirit. These are prayers that God calls us to pray. And these are prayers that are prayed to the victorious one whose son is already risen and ascended and whose rule is already spreading across the world. Okay, as we close, what difference does it make if you get what is written here, if you believe what Paul has said in Ephesians 6? Well, very simply, if we get it, we'll pray. I hope you haven't missed that. That's what we'll do. We'll pray for our protection and the protection of others, and we'll pray for the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, they publish a list um, every year of all the ridiculous calls made to 999 to try and dissuade people from making ridiculous phone calls. Uh, last year, the citizens of this great country called the police to report uh, a number of non-life-threatening emergencies. On New Year's Day, somebody dialed 999 just to wish them Happy New Year, which Nice, but ultimately a little bit pointless. Uh, somebody uh, dialed 999 to say that the power had gone off and to ask, will my Sarah Lee Gatto defrost in the freezer if I keep the door shut? How long have I got? Somebody dialed 999 to say, I bought a pair of jeans at a shop last week. Who still shops in a real shop? It's amazing. I mean, that does make it exceptional. It wasn't online. It was actually in a real shop. I bought a pair of jeans at a shop and took them back, but they won't give me a refund. But the number one was the, was the person who uh, dialed 999 and demanded a police response team to investigate the theft of a snowman from their front garden. That is ridiculous. What an utter waste of the police time. But I do sometimes wonder, uh, pre preparing this, I did wonder, how ridiculous do my prayers sometimes sound in heaven? You know, here I am in the middle of this great war the cosmic conflict between God and the devil, between heaven and hell. And the radio in the, in the heavenly headquarters crackles into, into life as, as, as I pray. All the almighty resources of God are ready to be deployed 
to, to protect whoever needs protecting and to embolden whoever is seeking to proclaim the gospel. And what great need will my prayers address? Uh, there are Christians being killed for their faith around the world today. There are Christians being tempted away from Christ today. There are Christians being beaten down with discouragements and doubts today who desperately need strengthening. Dear God, I'm so fed up of my job. Look, if you loved me, you really, really would enable me to get this other job. I'm so fed up, please. And God, I'm fed up living in zone four. Please, 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 can I have a a flat in zone two? Please, could we be able to afford this flat? Um, and, and would it work for us to, to, be able to, um, to be able to afford the deposit? Now, don't mishear me. God is our loving Father, and he wants us to come to him with everything that's on our hearts, all that's burdening us. But I couldn't help, after reading Ephesians 6, wondering how much of my prayer life must sound a little bit frivolous in heaven. Again, please don't mishear me. Bring everything to God. But together with everything else, how much of my prayer life is dedicated to the spiritual war that is waging in this universe? Prayer is not primarily a room service telephone line connecting me to God to demand things that will make my life comfortable. It's a battlefield radio crying out to God for the protection of people who are in great danger and the proclamation of the gospel that alone can save people from hell. Let's pray as if we believe that. Let's make sure that we get organized and disciplined and spend some of our prayer time interceding for those who are in danger, that they would be protected and enabled to stand. Let's be organized and disciplined about praying for the spread of the gospel around the world, If you use a smartphone, PrayerMate's a brilliant app. You can subscribe to all sorts of really, really helpful uh, feeds that Open Doors and Barnabas Fund that tell you each day about the challenges of persecuted Christians around the world. Operation World that talks about um, different countries and how the gospel is spreading amongst them. But let's be involved. I mean, all of us, if we're honest, we do want our life to, to be about something glorious. You know, you... The newspapers are full at the moment of of some of the extraordinary stories of heroism from 75 years ago in the D-Day landings. And you read about this, as they call them, the greatest generation. And you read all they sacrificed and all they gave up to fight against evil. And there's a little bit of you, there's a big bit of us that's glad we don't have to engage in a physical war. A big bit of us should be glad of that. But there's a little bit that longs to be involved in something glorious something meaningful, something worthwhile. So our lives will feel like they meant something. The extraordinary thing is for us, we don't have to storm a beach with bullets flying around to be involved in the great cause of the universe. All we have to do is drop on our knees and speak to our Father. As you pray, you're involved in the spiritual war. God, the sovereign God, who needs nothing, He has determined that the way that he will work in his world is by causing his people to pray and then acting in response to those prayers. Your prayers are real and they make a difference, 
because God loves you so much that he wants to involve you in the great cause of the universe, the great cause of history. His intention was always that his people would be protected by your prayers. His intention was always that the gospel would spread in unreached places because of your prayers. What a wonderful privilege we have. So let's use it. Let's pray. Let's do that now. Our Father God, we thank you that we have this privilege of prayer. Our Father, we pray that we wouldn't be naive about the the seriousness of the spiritual war in which we find ourselves. But we pray too that we would believe your word in the glorious promises of your protection and power on offer to us. And so we pray that we would be not fearful, but prayerful people. Help us, we pray, to pray for ourselves and to pray for others. Help us too to pray for the spread of the gospel so that on that last day, we might have the great privilege of seeing that the prayers we prayed contributed to the victory you have won for the glory of your son and the salvation of your people. Amen.